you will, you can take your Bible and go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3. That'll kind of be the starting point for today. For as you know, we are on this road. We're on this road to hopefully spiritual awakening, spiritual renewal, spiritual revival. I pray that today that God will speak to your heart. You know, we have some young people in our church that are really good in track and field. I mean, really good. You watch them, and, and every time they compete, if they don't win, they're somewhere on the platform, second or third. And even if they are not on the platform, here's what I can tell you about these guys. They went there, and they gave their best effort. They do their best every time. They're out working. They're out practicing. They're out running, and they do their best. Obviously, they've been taught to take a little, be self-aware about, uh, you can call it pride. It's healthy pride if it is is that to take a little healthy pride in what they do and the value of giving everything, everything you do, you should do as unto the Lord. You know, it's good because, it's good that they give that effort because, as you know, the Bible teaches much about doing our best. Back almost 18 months ago now, when I came and preached in view of a call, I used 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 it tells us to run in a, in a way that we will receive the prize. So you see, what they're doing physically to run and prepare for track, we are called to do spiritually. Paul used many illustrations of sports, of doing your best, of working your hardest. He used many illustrations in sports to tell us how to react Spiritually, we should have the, listen, I've lost you. We should have the same passion, urgency, energy, desire for the spiritual as we do the physical. Now, I'm not a prophet, nor am I a son of a prophet, but I will tell you this. If we approach our Lord and his message and his methods and his mandate with the same passion, with the equal passion of our hobbies, we may actually see God send, we may actually do this, we may actually see God here from heaven, heal our land, because he's forgiven our sin. And by definition, that would be revival. We're on this repentance road to revival. We began the journey last week, and we're talking about the ten deadly sins of the church. Now, what I want to do, we're going to try to do this. We, all our tech guys are not here today, so we appreciate the, uh, we appreciate Ethan being up there and Dwayne was up there. So, so we appreciate these guys. I want to walk through you with the ones that we covered last week. We began last week with weak pulpits, sin of a church. That begins with me. That begins with my repentance, where I've not rightly divided the word of truth, but it also extends to every pulpit in this church, whether it's a Sunday school teacher, it's a connect group leader, it's a missions organization, whatever it is, is that we must rightly divide God's word so that people can hear. The second, the ninth sin, that's ten, nine, the ninth sin is that tiny faith. Brothers and sisters, do you believe this? We serve a big God. 
Well, that's half of us. I know. I took you off balance. We're at New Hope, so you're not accustomed to responding. We serve a big God. Amen. So we can ask our big God for big things, and we can give him a big faith. So our prayer is, Lord, increase our faith. Amen? Lord, increase our faith. And then number eight was timid prayers. Timid prayers. We serve a big God. Why are we going to pray timid prayers? If we trust him, why are we going to pray timid prayers? Nothing of eternal consequence happens outside of prayer. In fact, the barometer for our lives is prayer. It tells us whether we depend on us or him. If we depend on us, we don't pray much. If we depend on him, we pray a lot, and we don't pray timid prayers. Now, before I pass these, before Ethan takes them off the screen, let me tell you this. I know it's different today in school. How many of you remember when you started learning arithmetic and 1 plus 1 equaled 2? A few of you? Okay. Here's what I'm going to tell you up here on the screen. Watch this. 1 plus 1, weak pulpits plus tiny faith equal timid prayers. Weak pulpits plus uh, uh, timid prayers equals tiny faith. A lot of times, tiny faith plus timid prayers equals weak pulpits. You see, the truth is that's why it's so important for us to repent of the sin. And I'm going to say this. We are not a perfect church. You know how much I love here, loved you, and I love being here. But we have issues. Hello? We have sin issues. I mean, after all, look who your pastor is. Hello? Now, don't get too much pleasure out of that. Look who the congregation is, okay? That's my sin. That's your sin, and it has to be repented of. So that's 10, 9, 8. Let's go to number 7, if you will. Small commitment. Deadly sin of the church. Small commitment. I'll just pause a second to say this. 7, 6, and 5, what we're going to study today are intensely personal. As As I prayed and I studied about these three sins... I found my heart being ripped again. Small commitment. Small commitment. Where's our commitment gone in the church today? Now, as I talk about these sins, if they don't fit you, don't try to put them on your foot. You see, the truth is, As I talk with people about attending services, I get the answer, well, I'll do my best. If nothing else comes up, well, I just went two weeks ago. Then I talk and I go, do you attend service? And I'm talking about the people that I'm encountering outside of our congregation you attend church? Yeah, I go. Where do you go? Well, you know that little old church that's over there just off of Route, just, you know, and I, well, what's the name of it? Oh, okay, that's fine. What's the preacher's name? Dead giveaway. Oh, I can't think of his name right now. You know what you know? You just, you just caught him probably in a fib about attending church. The truth is, the truth is, is that in the 21st century, 
We have redefined commitment. There was a time in Southern Baptist life when you were here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, never the time the doors were open. Do you know what the definition of commitment is in the 21st century of America? If I go once a month, I'm active. I'm committed. If I go, and, and even I tell, if I, three or four months, let me, let me just ask you this question. You've heard this before. Ladies, I got a deal for you. Why don't you dump that husband you got? Because I got a man for you. He's got a lot of money. He's really good looking. And what he'll do, he will be faithful to you 99% of the time. Any takers? Oh, come on. 99% of the time. Come on. No takers. Why is it that we expect our Lord Jesus to accept less from us than we expect from our, our spouse? I'm going to just be transparent with you. I always try to be honest, but I'm going to be transparent with you. We have a total load of people in this congregation whom are committed and faithful as the day is long. But we have a total load of people, are you listening, that are not. In fact, here's what I'm going to tell you. If we just had the people who were members and connected to this church, if we had those folks committed, we would fill this worship center two times every Sunday. Because now it's almost like we're on shift work. One time they come, the next time they don't. Well, Brother Jerry, we're in the middle of a pandemic. That's not what I'm talking about, and you know it. We try to superimpose over us things that really are not really indicative of our, of our uh, commitment. Kevin Ham said this. Y'all remember me talking about Kevin? He said, if you can get the people to come and sit through one service a week and then return uh, the next to do it again, you have really done something. I want you to think about that. Think about that. The Bible knows nothing of a commitment like that. In fact, the Bible doesn't even call that a commitment. We ask you to turn to Daniel 3. These boys, you can move forward there, Ethan. These boys teach us what commitment is all about. Remember the setup of the story? Nebuchadnezzar said, Man, I made, this, I made this idol for you. When you hear the jazz band play, fall on your face and worship my idol. And they didn't, and they got told on. He brought them in, and he gave them a warning. And then he gave them a second chance. And here's, here's the final thing. In verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question if Watch this. Commitment, folks. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. Do you have that kind of commitment? Do you have that kind of faith? And then they, take, then they kind of put it in his face and they said, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. And then the next person says, but even if he doesn't do it, even if he does not rescue us, we want you to know as king that we will not serve your God or worship the gold statue that you have set up. 
These boys teach us about commitment. They're committed to God. Nothing's getting in their way. Nothing's getting in front of them. This is not a small commitment. And, and I don't have the scripture up there, but how about Daniel, their good friend? He's a government leader. And he was committed more to God than the government. And what did it get him? He got him a trip to the lines then when God showed himself strong. Or how about the words of Jesus? What words did Jesus give, give about commitment? Let's just put a few of them up here. First of all, to all of them, he said, follow me. Follow me. And, and, and then he told the rich young ruler, go and sell all you have. Now, why did he do that? Because he knew that the rich young ruler's God was his wealth. And he's going back and saying, you've got to remove other gods. And if you really want to know about commitment, he has one more line I'm going to give you here that he tells us, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, leave that there just a second, if you will, Ethan. The truth is, if anyone wants to follow me, they have to deny self, they have to die to self, that's what the cross is, and they have to devote themselves. That's the message of Jesus. That's the the commitment that he responds to. And I could go on and on and on and on, but need I go on and on? Because you need to understand this. When Jesus was on earth, he continued to raise the level of commitment. Do you know how high he raised the level of commitment? Saddest verse in the Bible. One of the saddest verses in the Bible was John 6, 66. And it said, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back. And no longer accompany him. You see, it's the decision we make about this thing of commitment. We each must decide whether we're going to be commitment, whether we're going to be committed, or whether we're going to just participate. This is an old story, so old I hate to tell it because you've probably heard it a thousand times, but endure it one more time. A cow, chicken, and pig in the backyard in the lot. They look at the farmer out in the field working and and the cow says you know that farmer is so good to us he just feeds us he takes care of us so what and uh, and the cow said that and chicken said yeah why don't we do something big for him why don't we give him a great breakfast let's give him some milk and eggs and ham and the pig had been quiet and the pig said for you guys that's participation for me that's commitment That'll dawn on you on the way home, all right? Truth is, is that do we just participate or are we really committed? Do we participate or are we committed to him? That's the sin that we have to repent of. So like I did last week, would you bow with me and and pray with me a prayer of repentance? Heavenly Father, we know Small commitment is not what Jesus called for, and we know that's not what he will accept. I ask that you reveal to each of us the commitments in our lives, those things that we are committed to. Help us face up to what is the most important thing in our lives. Forgive us where our commitment is not you. Forgive us where we have failed you. And Lord, give us a fresh start with you today. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Small commitment. The second one, kind of like it, is silent witness. Silent witness. I'll just tell you, as, as I traversed this series and, and these sin, I, I will tell you that there's so much that needs to be said and could be said that I'm afraid that we miss some of the important things that would speak to our heart. But I'm going to make this one simple. Please listen to me. A silent witness. A silent witness in any place, on any stage, no matter what. A silent witness is useless. Hello? A silent witness is useless. In legal matters, in the courtroom, in our system of Jewish prudence. A silent witness literally hides the truth, refuses to speak, and hampers the proper decision-making process. You see, a witness, remember this, a witness can only tell what he knows firsthand. He can't give his opinion. He can't give hearsay. He can just speak to what he knows and has experienced. It is the same it is the same principle it is the same truth in this matter of salvation if those who who have experienced salvation refuse to speak it then by nature it is hidden and it hampers the decisions of the lost people who so desperately need Jesus And there's not a person in this room who can deny that the Word of God compels us and Jesus commands us to be His witness, to to share with people what Jesus has done in us, what He has done for us, what He wants to do through us. He has told us many things. Let's just look at some of the words. Matthew. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, Father of the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I know the old King James says, and lo, but this is probably a better word, remember. I am with you always to the end of the age, so go and tell. And then in John it says, Jesus said again to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, Dr. Luke put it in Acts. Is that the next one up? I believe it is. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I always read it the other way, guys. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Did you all get that? When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we'll receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the age. You see, Jesus' words are clear. And when we're not a vocal witness, when we are a silent witness, we walk and live in sin. I've mentioned Jesus, but you know this story of redemption runs all through the Bible. It runs all through the Bible. In the Old Testament, we are seen as God's watchman on the wall. 
We are the watchmen to sound the alarm. We're the watchmen to blow the horn. We're the watchmen to protect the people. We warn from all kind of attacks and, and, and let people know what's happening and what they got to face. And here's what I'm going to tell you. Are you listening? If the watchmen fail at their job, people die. Ezekiel tells us about that. I believe it's Ezekiel 3, 7. He says, as for you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my house and give them a warning from me. When you hear a word from my house, mouth, give them a warning from me. Now here's where it get, kind of gets real personal. If I say to the wicked, wicked one, you will surely die. Pause. That's what he's told every sinner on earth. The wages of sin is death. There's none righteous, no, not one. If I say to the wicked, wicked one, you will die, but you do not speak out to warn him about his way, that wicked one will die for his iniquity, yet I will hold you responsible for his blood. You see, silent witness is big stuff. Take the next verse. But if you warn a wicked person to turn from his ways and he doesn't turn from it, he will die for his iniquity, but you will have rescued yourself. I don't know about you, but when I read that, that's a sobering picture about the responsibility to be the witness. I know you caught all the spiritual implications that are there. We are the watchmen over the souls of people, of all the people we encounter. And, and if we are the watchmen over them, if we are honest, if we're honest, the church in America, that's us, has done a poor job of sharing the gospel or, or telling the story. We are complicit. Not my message, God's message. When I was a kid, we talked a lot about secret Christians. And I was told there's no such thing either. Either the secret will destroy the Christian or the Christian will destroy the secret. One or the other. Here's what we forget. You may not have ever heard this. I'm going to tell you, I hadn't heard it until a few years ago. Watch this. The gospel came to you, to me, on the way to somebody else. The gospel came to you and me on the way to somebody else. We're not supposed to be the dam that stops it. We're supposed to be the conduit that it flows through. I used to do a little plumbing. Don't tell anybody. And the worst thing in the world is a stopped-up pipe. Now, generally, we think of stopped-up pipes on the uh, drainage side, but occasionally you'll get them on the supply side. You get that fresh water coming through, and whatever happens, rust in a line or, or a, tree, a, a tree root grows through it or something, and it stops that line up. 
and that water stops. Do you know what? Well, some fresh water that's coming in pretty soon will turn into bad water because it's not flowing. Instead of, instead of being the conduit, it becomes a dam. That's what happens with our witness. The gospel came to us. And when we don't share the gospel, it stops with us. It has a tendency to go sour. And when the church, let's, let's talk about the church. When the church, when the church's witness is silent, the church misses something. Are you listening to me? The church is missing something. You know what it's missing? The new. What are you talking about, Brother Jerry? I didn't think you'd ever ask. What am I talking about? Everybody loves new things. Ladies, you love a new dress. You love a new car. I'm not going to say you love a new microwave because you can let your husband use that. But you've got all these things that you love that are new. We love new stuff. We we, we love a a. A new car. We love, we love a new uh, uh, a refrigerator. We love a new house. We love a new tractor. We love new furniture. If we're young in life, we may love our new marriage or our new job or that new baby. Man, we love new because new brings excitement. Do you know what a new believer is to the church? A new believer is to the church what CO2 is to the pop. It's the fizz. It gives it fears like you never, it gives it excitement. When a church has none or a few newbies, it tends to lose something. And I'm going to get to that in a second. Do you know what a vocal, verbal witness is? <clears throat> People have the wrong idea that you've got to learn 17 chapters of the scripture by memory. Are you listening? How many times have you walked in there and, and, and somebody's going to teach you how to share faith and it's 37 verses? And you go, I can't memorize 3.7. Well, that's another discussion for another time because I think you can. But here's the deal. It's not about being a theologian. You know what being a witness is? It is one person, you, telling another person, a lost person, what happened to you. Hello? It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. All you have to do is be able to tell your story. That's all we got to do is just tell our story. And let me just tell you, in these woods, there are literally hundreds of people who have no relationship with Christ. You grew up with many of them. You know many of them. You see many of them. How long has it been since you shared, not church, not come to church with me? I guess that's okay if you get them to come. But how about... What Jesus has done for me. How long has it been since you shared what Jesus did for me? Not even what they, not even what they have to do. This is what Jesus did for me. And if they see it in your life, you know what? They may actually want it. Just tell your story. That's how we overcome. Silent witness. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, forgive us. Forgive us for those times that we've not been ready and willing to share you with someone who needs you, not to share our story. We repent of our silent witness and ask you to give us the courage to be ready to have a, to speak a word at any time. In Jesus' name.
Small commitment, silent witness. Here's the one that kits us. No joy. Hello. Hello. All right. I understand you're going to go, I got plenty of joy. I'm going to tell you, notify your face. Let it get up to your face. You know, the truth is, this is not in my notes, and I know I'm well over time. This is not in my notes, but I'm just going to tell you. Every now and then when Brother Jerry says something funny, every now and then, Jason, don't say a thing. Every now and then when Brother Jerry says something funny, I see somebody wanting to smile, but they'll look around to see if anybody else is going to smile with them. You know, we come into the Lord's house, we should be full of joy. Of all the people in the world that should be full of joy, it is God's people. We are the ones who have been redeemed. That means we've been made into something from nothing. We are the ones that had our sins forgiven. We are the ones that had addictions broken. We are the ones that experienced the grace. We are the ones that experienced the mercy. We are the ones that experienced the peace. We are the ones that experienced the salvation that only Jesus can give. He's our loving Lord. Look, folks, if you want something to smile about? I have read the end of the book. We may lose a battle down then. We're going to lose this battlefield because this world's going to be gone one day. We may lose a battle now and then, but we win in the end. I'm going to say that again. It didn't sink in. We may lose a battle now and then, but we win in the end. Luke 15 tells us, talking about joy, Luke 15 tells us that, that when the sinner came home, it says there's joy in the, in the presence of angels. I want you to think about that. Angels cannot even know what we have been redeemed from because they were created heavenly beings. And they up there doing a high-five dance when somebody gets saved. And there's, Bill Gaither wrote it this way, there's joy in the camp. Sinners come home. Joy in the camp. Rejoicing around the throne. The truth is, there should be joy not just in the camp. There should be joy in the church. I can tell. Let's read. Oh, he got it up there already. Ah, this is in Psalm 122. I was glad. I know the old translation says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Good translation. I was glad. I was, another translation said, I rejoiced. Another translation said, I was happy. Another one said, I was so happy with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, I'm telling you, there is joy. Go ahead, Ethan, if you will. This is Jesus coming in on the, uh, uh, on the donkey. And when he came near the path down to Mount of Olives and the whole crowd of the disciples began to, listen to this, praise God. Would you read that word with me? Joyfully. joyfully. Let's try it again. We've not really coordinated. Let's try it again. One, two, three. Joyfully. Man. Joyfully, with a loud voice, for all the miracles they had seen. You know what the truth is? We should have joy. How about one? I've got a couple more. At that time, he, that was Jesus. I mean, if Jesus got happy in his spirit, got rejoiced and had joy in his spirit, we should be able to. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And then you got the disciples, and the disciples were filled with the joy, with joy and the Holy Spirit. Can I just say this to you? When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, joy comes. How do I know that? Fruit of the Spirit is love. Oh, come on. We're going to start taking laps so I can get you. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy. Come on. Joy. You know, the truth is, is that we should be joy. It should be, it, there should be a badge of honor. It should be the badge for the redeemed. It should be what we wear proudly. 
when the church has no joy. It's not very attractive. I want to say that again. When the church has no joy, it's not very attractive. To have no joy in your life, in our gatherings, reflects on Jesus. Reflects on our Lord. It reflects on what He can do. I mean, have you ever given this any real thought? Your joy as a believer affects your attractiveness. Your joy as a believer in Jesus Christ directly impacts Jesus Christ's attractiveness to the people who need him. If we give the idea of somberness and sadness and seriousness, who will want anything that we have? I mean, who will look at us and say, boy, they've been with Jesus. People are attracted. Are you listening? I'm almost done. People are attracted to life, not death. That's why we throw birthday parties at bowling alleys and parks and gymnasiums and community centers and the like. Has anybody ever had a birthday party in a cemetery or a funeral home? You know why? We don't go to those places unless we absolutely have to. The joy of the Lord is still our strength. Hello? The joy of the Lord is still our strength. The inner joy that comes from a relationship with Jesus can't be matched by anything anywhere. The joy that comes from an experience of worship, from an experience of a relationship, should dwarf every other experience we We should exude joy. Because joy comes into us when we really have an experience worshiping our living God. It should be joy unspeakable and full of glory. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, the secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin is worship. That those enslaving patterns of sin are the joy stealers in our lives. You know why we get unhappy in Jesus? It's because we let sin creep back into our lives. The secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin is worship. You need worship. You need great worship. You need weeping worship. You need glorious worship. You need to sense God's greatness and be moved by it. Moved by, by who God is and what He has done. For you. Do you know what happens when you're moved by God? We've been running on it this whole year. You recollect. You repent. And you become ready for God to revive your heart. Joy will flood your soul. Joy will become infectious. Joy will be apparent to everyone around you. Every day you live. 
How about the joy of the Lord? How long has it been since you really felt joyful? That you notified your face and, and, and you knew in your heart that he was living in you. Let me pray for us. Father, first of all, will you forgive us for our lack of joy? We know you set us free. We know you put a new song in our heart. We know you implanted in us your joy. But we know we're human. And we know that sin steals our joy. And honestly, the joy stealers of this world are working overtime in us. We pray that you would restore the joy of our salvation. Return the joy in our hearts. Replace those things in us that have stolen our joy and replace it with a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. Give us a willing heart, a willing heart to love you, to love one another, to love our neighbors, even to love our enemies. Please forgive us where we've had small commitment. Please forgive us where we've had a silent witness. Forgive us for our lack of joy and restore us. Please, Lord, so that people may see you in us. In Jesus' name we ask it all. Amen.